Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Brought to you by The Naked Scientists, the Cambridge Science Festival podcast. Hello, and welcome to the second podcast from the Cambridge Science Festival with me, Mira Senthilingam, from thenakedscientists.com. Coming up on today's podcast, we learn about acoustics back in Venetian times, we find out our energy options as fossil fuel sources continue to run out, and we find out the answer to this. Will they ever be able to create a whole other body without cloning? All that coming up on today's Cambridge Science Festival podcast. But before that, one of the aims of the festival is to ignite a passion for science in school children around the county. So I caught up with festival organiser Nikki Buckley as she spent the day roaming various university departments with Year 8 students from Chesterton Community College and found out what they'd been up to. So today we've been to the Cedric Museum and we've learned about the iguanodon there and we went to the Zoology Museum and we classified some animals and then we've been down to biochemistry and we've learned about stem cells. Um, it was great because the scientist Rachel Walker, she started off by talking about what a cell is and they've done that a bit in biology but it really helps them to think back to the basics of what a cell is and I was quite surprised a lot of them did know a little bit about what a stem cell was but then when we watched a video it was became clearer that um, scientists are now able to make some stem cells in the lab uh, differentiate into a heart cell or a blood cell and then we actually looked at how you could make a skin cell and that how that could be used in the treatment of burns victims. What do you think the groups have enjoyed the most today? I think it's just different to have a whole day collapsed for science it means they can get out of the classroom and they can come and see things like the Zoology Museum is incredible you can get up close to all these skeletons and here we've been into a real life scientific research building they've met scientists and I think they've got a real sense of potential if they took science further at school. Sounds like they had a great day out. And to find out which parts they enjoyed the most, I had a chat with the students themselves. Colette Milbourne seemed impressed with the Zoology Museum. It was quite fun going around the Zoological Museum because there are loads of cool animals and things to do there. And I got a bit more insight from fellow student Matthew Brown as he told me what he'd enjoyed during the day. Going round the Zoology uh, Museum with my friends looking at all the weird and wonderful things. What did you learn there? The, um... Loads of creatures have really weird ancestors. Okay, and um, what have you just been doing about stem cells? Um, we've had a presentation on growing other body parts. What did you find out about stem cells that you didn't know before? Well, I never knew that it took so long to replicate. I thought they took it didn't take that long to replicate, but it took quite a long time. School groups will continue to tour various university departments throughout the festival. One of the great things about the Science Festival is mixing with people you wouldn't normally meet. It gave naked scientist Ben Valsler the opportunity to meet Deborah Howard. She's Cambridge University's Professor of Architectural History, which may seem like a far cry from the biologists, chemists and physicists you would expect to see at a science festival. But Deborah's work has got people from all sorts of different backgrounds working to answer the same questions. And her talk on architecture and acoustics certainly got Ben thinking. The human brain has many fantastic abilities, one of which is the ability to use the qualities of a sound to learn about where the sound is coming from. 
Your brain could guess if I was talking to you from a small bathroom, from a deep cave, or a huge cathedral. Cathedrals are actually a very good example. The acoustics seem to enhance sacred music in a way that sound engineers have spent years trying to emulate in the studio. But is that just a coincidence, or were they designed with music in mind? Deborah Howard, Professor of Architectural History at the University of Cambridge, has taken a team of acousticians, musicologists and architectural historians along with the Choir of St John's College to Venice to study key Renaissance buildings. Our project looked at a series of churches in Venice, examples of different kinds of churches. St Mark's, of course, is a very, very important centre of ceremonial, and so that has to be first example. It was also the place where all the most ambitious music was written for. Then we looked at monasteries. Now, these are sort of monks who live very isolated lives uh, on islands, and we looked at two of these. We looked at friaries, mendicant friaries, within the city, sort of monasteries where the friars went out and interacted with the community. We looked at three parish churches and three hospitals. And the hospitals are very important in this because all the hospitals have orphanages. Uh, But these hospitals became very, very famous for their choirs of orphan girls. Now, we wanted to look at different kinds of acoustics that depend on qualities of buildings. We looked at the effects of materials such as singing in wooden choir stalls, carpets. We thought about the effects of tapestries. It has a very uh, important effect on the acoustics. Using advanced acoustic technology and survey techniques that are usually reserved for designing new concert halls, and a talented choir, of course, they assessed several acoustic parameters of each building. These were then considered in the light of the building's original purpose. It turns out that the buildings make the best of the type of music you would expect to hear. In monastic buildings, you would traditionally hear plain song, music which is greatly enhanced by a long, haunting reverb. The same acoustic properties would cause the delicate harmonies of polyphonic music to be lost. The same style of music in a smaller church, or in specially designed chambers found in larger churches, would sound just right. So it seems that, at least in Renaissance Venice, architects put a great deal of consideration into the acoustics of their designs, so the final building is a wonder to listen to as well as a wonder to look at.
Music and radio drama producers use audio tricks all the time to create the right atmosphere. And it's nice to know that Renaissance architects were doing it long before them. That was Ben Valsler, with clips from Deborah Howard and St John's Choir. Unravelling the Cambridge Science Festival. The Naked Scientists, online at thenakedscientist.com. Now it's time for today's festive question from Chesterton Community College student Matthew Brown, who we heard from earlier. Will they ever be able to create a whole other body without cloning? And here's Dr Rachel Walker from the University of Cambridge with a possible answer. At the moment, scientists are working at creating different cell types from different types of stem cells. We're doing this in the lab and also um, some doctors are trying it in uh, clinical trials and with patients. This is for therapeutic cloning, which is to replace tissues and organs from diseases or from um, injury. Reproductive cloning, as in what happened with Dolly the sheep, would be a lot more difficult to do in the future. I'm not sure if they will be able to replace the whole human with cloning. That's not the goal that we're going towards at the moment. At the moment, to make organs and tissues, we're quite a few years off that. And we're also having to bring in different disciplines of science, such as material science, to be able to give structure or a scaffold to be able to grow those cells on and to be able to use them potentially in the body. Though, who knows what will happen with scientific advances in the future. So it looks like we won't be able to clone ourselves in the foreseeable future anyway. I'm sure you're all aware of the fact that our Earth is running out of fossil fuels. And as this source of energy isn't renewable, scientists are desperately trying to find alternatives in order to meet our increasing energy demands. One scientist who's been researching this field for a very long time is Cambridge University's own David Mackay. And last night he spoke about the reality of our options, beginning with why we need to find alternatives in the first place. Well, there's three main reasons. Uh, First, fossil fuels uh, won't last forever. They're they're going to run out, so we need to have a plan of how to live without fossil fuels in the long term. Oil and gas are going to run out pretty soon, within a few decades, and coal perhaps a bit longer. But there's another reason. There's climate change. If we burn fossil fuels in the way we do at the moment, that increases greenhouse gas concentrations, and everyone knows we need to stop doing that, and we need to do that sooner. And a third motivation for anyone who doesn't believe in climate change is security of supply. So our own North Sea gas and oil reserves are going to run out, and we should really be looking after them and making them last as long as we can. So that's a third reason for wanting to get off fossil fuels. Well, those are all very good reasons. So what are our options to actually get rid of this habit? Well, people often say we've got huge renewables in the UK, and that's certainly true compared with other European countries. We've got more wind and wave than most of them. So something we could imagine is maybe we could live on our own renewables. But when you actually do the sums and work out how big those renewable facilities would have to be, you might be surprised at the scale that's required. We would need wind farms larger than the area of Wales in order to get a significant amount of power from wind. We would need solar panels covering an area the size of Wales to give us half of our current total energy consumption. Wave power, if we put wave machines along the entire coastline of the Atlantic from tip to toe, we would only get about 4 kilowatt hours per day per person, and in comparison our total consumption is about 120 kilowatt hours per day per person. So what are the other options apart from our own renewables? Well, if we want to live on renewables but not in Britain because we don't want to industrialise the countryside, we could ask other countries politely, please could we create renewable power stations in your country? So we could talk to people with lots of sunshine, for example, Algeria or Libya, and say, 
please, would you be interested in hosting our renewable facility for us? It would still have to be the size of Wales. That's the area you need in the Sahara to get enough power for us to live on renewables in someone else's country. Apart from those two renewable options, what are the other options? Well, there's nuclear power and there's carrying on living on fossil fuels. So what is the actual likeliness of us being able to now live off these renewables? Well, it's very hard to predict what's going to happen. What I can advocate is what I think ought to happen. So I'd like all our politicians in Europe to actually use arithmetic and think about plans that will add up rather than just tinkering around at the edges and proposing, you know, a little bit of biodiesel here and a little bit of solar there and a little bit of wind in the North Sea. We really need a plan that adds up. In 2050, we need to essentially be living without fossil fuels. Otherwise, we're not doing our bit towards solving climate change and all these other issues. With all the different renewables out there, which one provides the most power? Which one's the most useful source? Well, I can answer two questions. One is, where are we getting most renewable power from right now? And right now, we get renewable power in the largest amount from a really absurd roundabout route. We grow plants, we sell them in the supermarket, we take them home, we leave them in the fridge, they get mouldy, we put them in the bin, and then the rubbish truck takes them and puts them in a landfill site, and then methane gas gets produced eventually, and we collect the methane and we burn that. That is the biggest renewable at the moment in Britain. I don't know if people are aware of that. <laughs> it's pretty bizarre, isn't it? So after that comes hydro and wind, and they, they are smaller at the moment. In the UK, I think the renewable with the biggest potential is wind, and we could do it onshore, and we would need a whale-sized area onshore to make something worth writing home about. And a whale-sized area offshore would be another option. It's more expensive. We could have perhaps have two whales worth offshore of offshore wind. That's the most promising one. The others, as I indicated, things like wave and hydro, they're, they're lovely ideas, but we just don't have enough of them to actually live on. The ones that we're currently using, other than the methane source, how much power are they actually providing percentage-wise compared to how much we need? The total of all renewables in the UK at the moment is about 1% of our total energy consumption. And we want to hopefully make that 100%. Well, we've got to get our fossil fuels. So, yes, we either need to 100% live on renewables, and perhaps one way to achieve that is to reduce our consumption, change our lifestyle, change the technology we use, use electric cars, insulate our houses better, and so on. And we want to somehow reduce the gap between our current 100% of consumption and that 1% of renewables. That was David Mackay from the University of Cambridge, informing us of the reality of our energy-consuming lifestyles. Well, that's it for today's highlights, but coming up in the next podcast, we learn how our memories are made and also find out if holidays into outer space will soon be a reality. I'm Mira Senthilingam, and this edition of the Cambridge Science Festival podcast was produced by thenakedscientists.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.